Textile Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Deus Textile Podcast, a place where some of the most progressive and innovative builders, thought leaders, and traders in the crypto space come together to discuss all areas of the crypto industry. Whether you're into DeFi, Layer 1s, Layer 2s, NFTs, or anything in between, we've got you covered. And as a reminder, nothing said on this podcast should be construed as financial advice or as a solicitation to buy or sell any digital asset or security. The comments, views, and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests on the podcast are their own. As always, you'll need to do your own research. Now, with that out of the way, let's get to the episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of our podcast. Today, uh, we have a very special guest. It's Coinflip Canada, or COIN for short, from the GMX team. And we are a lot of people from USX are our fans of GMX. And that's why we are happy to talk about the mechanics, the team, and the roadmap, basically. And yeah, so I'm Kepler. I write about DeFi, mostly about tokenomics on Twitter. And GMX was one of my earliest articles. And with me, I have Brucey. Maybe you can introduce yourself. Yeah, totally. Thanks, Kepler. Uh, hey, guys, I'm Bruce. I'm a council member at Deus Ex DAO and also write about DeFi. And uh, I'm a very, uh, very enthusiastic GMX investor. And I think uh, this is one of the most amazing projects that has actual fundamentals. Um, and uh, very pleased to pass it on to CoinFlip Canada, or Coin in short. Hello, sir. Hi, Bruce. Hi, Kepler. Uh, thanks so much for having me over today. It's been it's been great, sort of now being able to put voices to um, to to everything I've been following on Twitter and all the coverage that we've been getting from you guys. We 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 love the uh, love the positive feedback. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I guess to get started, we could maybe just quickly introduce uh, GMX, like how it works, and maybe also the team that's working on it and how it has grown over time. That would be cool. For those of that aren't familiar, GMX is a um, is an on-chain perpetuals, uh, perpetual and spot trading platform on both Arbitrum and Avalanche. We, de we deployed uh, last year in September, uh, sort of in our full avatar. We actually had a small, we had a limited sort of alpha product that had launched on BSC actually earlier in March of, of 2021. Um, the protocol effectively works with a, a mixture of Oracle prices and a, um, a common liquidity pool from community members, uh, institutional investors, and otherwise to create a liquid market on chain that's available composably, you know, where people are, are within the DeFi ecosystem. Uh, we're, we are continuing to, as a team and as a project, develop more and more tools. Currently, the majority of our trading volume is Ethereum and BTC, which are both, and, and, AVAX on Avalanche, which are you know, some of the largest tokens. And there's a lot of sort of new innovations that we're bringing into that space. In terms of the team, uh, it's all, it has been and it will probably continue to be a very small team. Uh, we're blessed with a, with a handful of um, developers. Uh, X, who is both our founder and um, I guess head of technology, lead developer, along with G and Zeros and a few others who are really dealing with the core, the core side of development of the platform, safety, security, which we spend a lot of time on. 
Um, and then, you know, a, a very dedicated group of moderators. Uh, um, that's kind of our team, and it's we we we've sort of intentionally kept it very tight, and we're and we're really excited about some of the stuff that we're working on. Awesome. And you you lagged there for one second. What did you say you're focused on? Uh, so I I deal with always a bit of a struggle. The title, I guess, originally was marketing, but it's sort of a mix, a combination of business development, partnership, strategy. Uh, you know, a lot of non-development related work. I mean, from my own history and otherwise, I like to work with people who I, I consider to be, you know, domain experts like X and others, and take the other stuff off of their plate so that they can focus on what they do really well. Incredible. Okay, great. Um, and maybe could you tell us how you got to this disposition? Like, what's your background, and uh, how how uh, did you end up with GMX? Great question. Uh, so, I don't remember the exact timeline now, but effectively, you know, I I was actually very lucky. You know, very early on, like many people in. Um, Crypto. I had originally been sort of exposed to crypto back in you know 2017, 2018, and had for the most part looked at it, spent a bit of time, sort of set it aside. But I was, but during um, during COVID actually, I, I I got the opportunity while locked up at home, like so many, to sort of spend a lot of time on and looking at what what new developments were there. And DeFi was something that definitely had caught my interest. And the reason was just from my own professional background, I'd spent some time. Uh, tangentially, I won't say without getting into details, into both banking, private equity, a lot of different areas where uh, I'd seen I'd seen the system, and I'd actually managed to spend a lot of time on, for example, things like you know options valuations and the like. And so I spent time, you know, speaking to all the different projects, and and you know, GMX, what it is now GMX, what then was XFix. I I, I was exposed to X was the developer, and. It is very rare that you find both somebody who I find has the technical and intellectual ability to develop uh, very complicated products, but then also who is so humble and receiving a feedback and input. And I think, and I think like most of the team, anybody who came and was working to say, Look, how are you tackling this? How do you want to improve this? What do you want to do? He was constantly engaging. And, and you know, I think all, out of our conversations and that engagement, I, I finally, um, for a short while, was sort of an advisor and then, uh, you know, stepped up to be able to uh, take on certain responsibilities for the project. Um, and by the way, I'm, I'm not sure if we're going to cover it, but it's, you know, I was doing a podcast, I think, last week and somebody asked me, you know, what's the best way to get involved in in crypto? And I said, just reach out to people and and tell them what you're thinking about and what they're thinking about. And you'd be amazed at how often people really value your input if you're willing to spend a bit of time on it. Yeah, great. Thanks. I, I guess like our history is kind of similar with how we started 2017, 2018, uh, and then more during COVID. Uh, that's also what I did, like doing freelance work on the side when COVID hit. Um, so yeah, that's cool to see. Um, I guess you already touched upon that GMX is complex, but smart. <laughs> I guess that that's like the protocol mechanics, but also the tokenomics. And maybe let's start with GLP. Maybe we could run through that um, just quickly and then go, go deeper. So, so GLP is, you know, in some ways, you're right. We can say it's very complex, or you can say it's actually very simple. Um, it serves a few different purposes. On one side, at its base, 
it's an index. It carries a diversified set of blue chip crypto assets. For example, on Arbitrum, it's it's comprised 50% of BTC, ETH, uh, and a little bit of Link and Uni. And on the other side, the other 50% is effectively stable coins. That both that's both on purpose to create a diversified basket, but it's also very practical because in the end, GLP serves serves the function of uh, being the backstop and the counterparty for all trades on the GMX platform. So, uh, in a very simple sense, you know, what is GLP? GLP is a market maker. It holds an inventory of assets, which it is both willing to swap, lend, um, and and make available for to, to traders. And it and it earns sort of agnostically. It, it earns fees based on anybody who wants to take up positions. Um, and, and do so for, while holding a set of assets that, uh, you know, as we surveyed, many investors wanted to hold as is. So it, it allowed people to get that, uh, get that crypto exposure, but without bearing the full brunt and also earning alongside. So in many ways, uh, you know, a lot of people are obviously familiar with, you know, Uniswap or Sushi liquidity pools. You can think about it in a very simple, a similar fashion, but the mechanics are very different, you know, because effectively we don't, we, we've tried to approach the capital efficiency equation in a different way, which is working with, you know, effectively like a single tick Oracle pricing. And at, at the current market price, we are willing to take a trade. We will charge a very fair fee for that, for that trade. And that, and those, and we believe that those, those fees and the combination of the, I'm trying to find the right words here, the, the I don't, errors is not the right word, but effectively the the judgment that leverage applies to traders may often result in a combination that that that, is, that provides patient agnostic capital like GLP a positive return, both from trader PNL and from and from trading fees. Yeah, so uh, I think a few things that are interesting for uh, that that are interesting about GMX, and um, I think we should kind of cover to. To clarify the attractiveness of the product is well, first of all, there's no KYC, right? So it's it's decentralized. Um, you always have a counterparty, right? Because GOP kind is the counterparty. Um, trading fees are not that large. My understanding is they're 0.1 percent, right, for open and close. Is that right? That's correct. 0.1 percent for open and close. And leverage up to how much? Uh, 30 times, but there's a governance proposal that's been that has passed to take that up to 50 times uh, once we work out just a few technical safeguards which we're putting in place. I see. So people can get very wrecked if they want to. Um, but also it means it's a good way to hedge, right? Like if you have long positions, right? You, you could short on GMX, for example. Well, um, well, actually, well, let me just touch on what you just said there. I mean, I think what you'll find is that you will find that the, that the use cases for people trading on GMX, as you mentioned, it's not just strictly trading. It is quite often hedging or programmatic uh, position adjustments because effectively we provide a very capital efficient way to do that. Uh, in, in much the same way that you could, uh, you could continue to, you could continue to, you know, hedge on a centralized exchange. If you were a DeFi protocol and for example, you're running a bold strategy and we're working with two different groups on things like this, you're able to, you know, take only a very small amount of the capital that you've set aside within your pool and use that to constantly be hedging positions in the event that you're trying to achieve, if not a de delta neutral, some sort of a, um, well, 
relatively delta neutral strategy. And there is a lot of people evaluating that, uh, both projects and I would say individual investors. And, and to be able to do that on chain um, is, is, is really is, a, I would say, a game changer and do so on the same chains that you're already taking your other positions. Yeah, yeah, yes, it is. And uh, I, I recalled my comment, actually, that I wanted to make, uh, which is that because you guys use a Chainlink Oracle, it also means that you have less wickiness, right? So on, on the one hand, it means that, well, you have to be more conservative about stop losses and price targets. On the other hand, it means that, um, well, maybe there's a less chance of the market getting gamed, so to say. Uh, and as retail, you are often on the losing side of that. So, so I think what we'll we'll always say is this. I, I won't say that you won't get liquidated on GMX. That's that's a matter of you know how risky a position you open. But if you get liquidated, it'll be a fair liquidation. It'll be a liquidation based on a broad market price uh, that that reflects you know not just one exchange or one order book or any or thin liquidity. It is effectively global liquidity, and we we utilize that as a proxy so that you know if even if GMX is small or large. Depending on however big we are, you're effectively trading the market as a whole, not just one order book. I think that is fundamentally something that, that we believe does provide you provide traders with a far more fair experience. Yeah, I, th I think looking at traders, it's also interesting how you decide to list assets in GLP. So, of course, on the trading side, I, I guess you're looking at trading volume, market cap, and so on. But what are the factors that, that you um, consider if you should list an asset in GLP and uh, also the the weight it should have, like what are you looking at there? So I would say we've been I, I would say we've been very conservative with our approach to listing assets or proposing uh, listing of assets. Um, to be to be clear, anybody can, can in governance can propose adding an asset, and we have had a few proposals that had come up which were actually um, which actually didn't get traction within our community. So it's not that. Uh, tokens have not come up for for votes before, but um, the evaluation process at the first level for us, or for even if somebody else were to were to propose it, it's it's a tech, it's technical limitations. Um, it's a combination of one actually a very practical one is that we do need a chain link oracle, which effectively limits us to a very certain subset of projects and protocols uh, and blockchains that that trade. Uh, and the other is really. Do they have sufficient liquidity that we feel comfortable that uh, the prices are not manipulatable? Um, prices going up or down is fine. I mean, I think we once we can get comfortable that it's an asset that's being held in GLP, you know, listen, I mean, Bitcoin is down 70% and AVAX is down 85%, I mean, or more. Um, you know, I don't think that's the issue, but it, what we want to make sure is that it's a fair trade and a fair trade for both, which means liquidity providers, are not being exposed to un undue risk uh, from, from manipulation, and traders also aren't exposed to those same risks accordingly. Um, so that's that from from you know I, I would say that's our biggest factors, but also the, the fact that low lower liquidity tokens are very difficult to handle within our model is part of the reason that we are also evaluating the PVP model, which we think that the introduction of other factors including. Um, Funding fees, uh, asymmetric returns for people who are opening larger positions, uh, start to create a more balanced environment where it doesn't make a lot of sense for somebody to attempt those, because you know in the end we are carrying synthetic positions, 
uh, and we're hopefully designing them in such a way that, you know, unless there is a counterparty who's willing to substantially take that counterparty position, it, it won't make sense for somebody to, 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 to take those actions. Okay, got it. Yeah, cool. Um, so when you developed GMX, and it was like a long uh, protocol development from Gambit on BSC, and then uh, GMX on Arbitrum, uh, how, like, what were the main challenges that you solved? And maybe what are the challenges right now? Or would you say you, you kind of finished GMX and can now uh, work on PVP, uh, AMM, and uh, X4? So, you know, I would say that, you know, I'm trying to think, I wouldn't say that we finished development, by the way, on GMX. There's a lot that's still continuing to be developed on GMX, both obviously from a protocol security, but a lot of a lot of areas of refinement. When Again, when we deal with things like market mechanisms, uh, you know, borrow rates, dynamic, slightly more dynamic swap fees, mechanisms to help balance pools a little more quickly and the like. So, the core product, of, I, I think, we, we we found has worked very well, but there's definitely scope for improvement, and it's only a matter of balancing. You know, when do you do a fresh redeployment of contracts versus being able to continue to do incremental updates? Um, you know, I, I would say that in terms of the challenges that we face. Um, okay, so you're basically dealing with quite often products that either maybe exist somewhere else in the real world and you're trying to bring them over to the blockchain or you're even trying to reinterpret concepts into a whole new way. So quite often it is the fact that, you know, today compared to when when uh, X started the protocol, today you have a running protocol, you have liquidity locked in it, you've got everything running. And I would say that that means that you, you know, you're you are obviously far more cautious and careful as you as you undertake development. So I would say the speed of development you try to keep as quick as possible, but you're you're constantly, constantly sort of looking back and making sure that everything that you're doing is protecting what is there for the users, for for the liquidity providers, token holders, and the like. Um, and I would say that you know it's it's always you know in some ways we what we've tried to do, and I'll say more. And we, you know, every time I talk to X and as he's looked at pieces that we, he says, where, where do we want to focus and where do we discuss? We kind of try to focus on where is it that we think we see a gap or a problem in the market and how can we develop a product that can be, can fit in. And then we continue to try to see how we can fit those in with the other things we're working on. But we start with not saying, well, how do we expand GMX? It's actually, how do we build something that people want? There is, there is a whole subset of, of instruments that can be traded and and are not currently able to be traded well, we feel on you know on chain. How do we improve that experience? And that's where PVP comes from. X4. Sorry, question. So you know, one thing that stood out to us is you guys are very considerate about choosing your cross-chain deployments. And the the argument for that, you know, that we've understood is that you guys say, well. We have an, a captive user base. We want to service them better, like you're saying. Um, I'm, I'm curious if there are any particular areas where you feel like there is an outsized reward for spending your time. You know, like what parts of the product do you feel like are lacking at the moment or deserve attention? Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe it's not from a from a perspective of where's the vacuum, but it's the other way around. Maybe it is what's really working, and are you guys doubling down on? Um, it just seems so 
you guys are so like deliberate about that versus the average protocol that is just trying to be everywhere at once? So, you know, great question. And I really appreciate the way you framed it because it sort of really puts you to think about, you know, why is it that we've decided to do what we're doing as we do it? And, and you're right, we have taken quite a bit of time as we look at different components. And I would say a few, a few aspects. One, which is we definitely want to continue to bring to market products in a timely fashion. And, and and so the question becomes, you know, should you spend time to take GMX from 90 to 95% or should you also then, if you feel very soon after, you can expand out a whole set of suite of products that can be at 80 or 90% alongside that, we can bring that out next. And I think a lot of time, a lot of our time has been, now been spent on, you know, prioritizing what are the things that some parts of our team internally can focus on in terms of continuing to build up and improve the experience on GMX. So that's that's better charting, that's further decentralization of every aspect of the protocol, removing as much manual process as possible. So there's been a lot of things that, you know, as we've had to keep building, we, we had a very clear intent of decentralizing, but it's taken time. So there's one aspect that's working away on that so that we know that, I, I won't say that we're a protocol that you can just set and forget, but we want to make sure that as much as possible, everything can be seen transparently and can operate with as as minimal interventions as possible. But that can't hold us back from continuing to roll out the products that have made, you know, what we as a team have done well and want to continue to do. So that's why, you know, PVP is a real big focus. And I think that, uh, I think that fingers crossed, I don't want to jinx it. I think we'll be able to ship a product that is, you know, very interesting that we think fits a fits a interesting aspect of the market uh, and do so in a way that if we do then want to continue to expand to other chains and there's no lack of interest of chains contacting us to want to expand out to them i think we'd rather you know move you know if we add a chain then let's let's add let's go to that chain with a wider range of uh, improved improved assets and at this moment, you know, between Arbitrum and Avalanche, I think we've been kind of, we've been blessed with two very dynamic ecosystems. Um, you know, Avalanche has a whole wide range of activities and I think a very clear vision of how they're sort of going to market, trying to bring users into the space. And I think that, that you know, that works well for us. And we've, we've had great conversations with protocols over there and we're working on int and working together. And Arbitrum, you know, I, since last September when it's launched, it has either by design or, or I'm not even sure. For, well, actually, I don't think it's by design, but it's 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 ended up being a very DeFi-centric environment. Uh, a lot of other, other wonderful protocols, you know, Jones, Dow, Mommy, uh, Dopex, Tracer, I mean, guys who are also really sort of tackling a lot of the building blocks we are. So we kind of like the idea of instead just focusing on extending out products that we know other people are going to work with us on continuing to work together on the existing stuff that we're working on and just sort of keep building that ecosystem uh i don't want to i don't want to be so presumptuous as to say around us but which we are part of and so that's kind of i've probably said a lot of different things there but so it's sort of saying if we can ship products and we can do them working with people that we're already working with very comfortable with that's kind of where we're trying to focus our efforts because we think that's where the maximum growth will be and it also it's also a multiplier. Other people working with us means that we don't have to carry the ball the entire way. So you're basically looking a lot of 
partners uh, on the different chains and see how you can work with them to like decide where you're going next? So, well, basically work with them so that the pro the protocols that we launch or the improvements that we do to the protocol better make us better a better partner to keep integrating with and tying together with, which means that our success is helping to grow them and their success is helping to grow us. In many ways, it, um, it, it kind of harkens back to the first building blocks where, you know, once you started to have marketplaces like, uh, you know, uh, lending protocols like Compound and Aave, how they started interacting with other protocols, you, you started having those, those blocks, uh, you know, maker doing their vaults, you started having pieces come together. I think you're going to start to see the same happen with, you know, perpetuals protocols, options protocols, vault strategies, where, you know, now people are going to the next level. It's not just a simple, you know, yield farm exercise, which was the first generation of vaults that were out there. I think you're not going to start to see a lot more. So, you know, it's taken a lot of time to to build those that depth of relationships. And I think we're, we're quite happy with the two chains that we're on, that there is interesting protocols for tackling that. So it it kind of doesn't, it doesn't put an, an immediate pressure for us to go to the, you know, the next chain and the next chain and the next chain. We'd rather actually, you know, I think if the products we're building are compelling and the chains that we're on continue to grow, the users will, will continue to come to us. And we obviously, uh, that, that's our effort and also all the other people we're partnering with their effort. So let's talk about that composability for a bit, because that seems like a very logical strategy and probably something you spend a lot of your time on, right, Coin? Um, but so we are big proponents of GOP, and we think it's an interesting way to hold that basket while also getting yield in the form of trading fees, you know, not only emissions. Um, and uh, But we understand there are some limitations too around composability on that. And uh, I was hoping you could kind of go into that because we had understood and already kind of talked about and later found out that Umami is actually working on this strategy is that technically, um, if you constantly hedge yourself against the exposure in the basket, or at least uh, the non-USD exposure, um, you could technically capture the, the yield, right? Without having directional mm -hmm. exposure uh, inside the GOP assets. Um, I think Umami is building this with some different DeFi building blocks and uh, seems very promising, a lot of smart contract risk, but uh, definitely visionary. Um, I'm cu and curious just how, how you think about that and what, what is and isn't possible with GOP. So, so you know, I, th I think you, you know, actually, I mean, it's, I'm in contact with the Umami team quite regularly as, as they've been working through the strategy. And, you know, fingers crossed. I mean, their 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 audits are ongoing on their on the contracts for the vaults, but they're hoping to sort of release in July. So we'll we'll see if those dates hold. Um, but uh, I would say that there's a lot of opportunity there because what they what they have identified is also, mind you, something kind of GD is identifying as well, which is that you know GLP obviously allows people to get that delta exposure, which we actually feel that most most retail liquidity providers actually do have sort of a crypto positive perspective. So from that standpoint, our basket of assets fit very well from that standpoint. But there are there are many people who don't want that exposure, and I, I, there may well be cost effective ways to hedge. I would say I would say it would not be cost effective to perfectly hedge that exposure because if you were to try to perfectly hedge the exposure you would most likely end up with costs that were comparable to the fees that 
you know, the G- GMX slash GLP are earning. But to generally directionally hedge that exposure, either either on either on a mixture of venues that are also providing some incentives or are incentivizing people to, for the most part, take the short side because there are not that there's not as many people even today in the crypto space who want to take the short side, and that tends to be well incentivized. It's 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 a very interesting combination and one that I mean I'm happy to say I'll likely be depositing into that strategy when it launches uh, as a mixture because I think it is I think it identifies that there is yield generation there is still the directional play that that people who are on leverage often you know end up with a negative trading result all of which you continue to accrue but without taking the directional exposure. In theory, there were ways for us to even natively integrate options like that. But the reason we did, we decided we didn't want to go about that was for this exact thing that we talked about. We'd rather work with other people so that, you know, anybody who wants to build, you know, a delta neutral strategy, if there's somebody who wants to build a long only strategy, everybody can work with work with the underlying portfolio and the fact that it is positively yield generating to build any, any, anything that they want on top. Use that, utilize that yield effectively to deliver uh, the type of return profile that you're looking at. Because we think that the platform itself is delivering that yield. It's not just that it's not yield coming from emissions or from anything else. It's yield coming from actual capital at work. So uh, like when the Umami world is like Delta neutral, how, how would you see GLP generally? Like what's the index you're comparing it to? And like, because at the start there was a lower weight for stable coins. So over time you, you adjusted it upwards. Like what, what's the kind of exposure you want to give LPs? Do you have like a, a target there? So, you know, historically we've, we've used for, for simplicity, a 50, 50 target between, um, call it volatile assets and, and pegged assets. Um, there's no perfect science to it because in theory you can make that weighting any any ratio you wanted. But we generally we're, we're, we we've held with 50-50 because it feels like a very natural level. It, allow, it, it in theory allows the same amounts of longs and shorts to be opened um, in terms of overall exposure. Although ironically, we do typically end up with a far larger effectively stable exposure because again as we mentioned most retail traders do tend to go long um you know uh, if i were to use an example if you were to look at what's happened over you know the, the you know the middle of june when the markets were going down you know dramatically um you would expect you know a lot of people to be going short but that's just not what's played out from a retail standpoint on on gmx that activity has probably been more sophisticated traders on slightly different platforms who are looking at probably, you know, a, a slightly different, you know, execution experience, maybe. I'm not sure, you know, what's the best way to, to look at that. So we've typically ended up, you know, 50-50 has typically given us, um, you know, a good return profile. I mean, I don't know how else to mix asset mix. In terms of the actual breakdown between ETH, BTC, Link, Uni, most most changes as they've happened have been driven by what the market is demanding for trading volume because in the end while we want to have a diversified basket we need to have the assets that people want to trade so you know interestingly or maybe not that interestingly you know on arbitrum eth demand for trading eth futures is dramatically higher than btc futures whereas within the broader crypto market btc futures are you know 
are, are more attractive. If I were to take you to our, to our Avalanche deployment, over there, we actually get more BTC volume than we do ETH volume. And accordingly, you know, as we keep making changes, you'll see BTC take up a larger weightage. So the idea is that, you know, you're, def you're definitely taking on broad exposure to, to blue chips, but it, but you are in the business of providing liquidity and being in that business. So weights will move accordingly. We, and, and I think, you know, so if, if we add more tokens, it will be tokens that we see both obviously being reflective of a broad crypto market, but also ones that we see demand for people to, to trade in. In that ecosystem, which is a really <laughs> interesting distinction, right? Because it kind of means, okay, you could have this basket on AVAX, this basket on Arbitrum, and then wherever you go next, you can adapt to those, to that environment's appetite. Exactly. So I, I mean, I'll, I'll just use an example that there's, there's um, on certain chains, um, these are not chains that we're deploying on, so I don't, and I don't want to say that, give all the details, but, you know, we've had conversations where we said, well, what tokens? And they said, oh, well, you don't know. We're, we're going to be doing a strategic partnership with this chain, so we see a lot of cross-demand. So when we look at it, you know, we understand that, you know, the crossover users will be very different chain to chain. Uh, and, and, and you'll and and I think the interest for liquidity providers will also be reflective on that, because if you were to provide a set of assets that are absolutely uninteresting to liquidity providers, you're you're also going to have a challenge because you won't be able to create a liquid market for the larger tokens. You also want to make sure that there's a deep market for. Great. So, final point on GOP. Um, we were hoping you could kind of break down for us how it compares to the alternatives, right? So you have the virtual AMM, you have the central limit order book, um, all these different implementations from your competitors or peers. Um, wh what are the pros and cons of doing it this way with this basket? Time will eventually tell what is like the best model. And I think that it's also reflective of what, where the market is and how the markets are maturing. So, you know, if we were to use the example of, you know, the global markets, you know, centralized limit order books, LOVs, they are the majority of the financial market because you have deep liquidity and many, many providers of liquidity who are operating simultaneously. Um, the crypto markets are a lot of the markets that we've looked at, especially on the chains that we're operating. That's just not, the technical limitations of the chains don't make that an ideal solution. Uh, and I think you do want to reflect that, you know, as you're present and you're providing a product that plugs in with others, it needs to function within the environment that it's working within. Um, and 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 so, you know, I think the CLOB also struggles with the fact that unless there is a firm commitment for ensuring that you will always provide liquidity, liquidity can disappear. Where where VAMMs and which will in some ways I guess be similar to or or perps debt model, or working with a model, working with that model, or working with GLP, it is the fact that you have that automated market maker, and I do think that that is an innovation that you know is developed from the crypto space and definitely has has provided uh, a solution to in, to a lot of inefficiency in the market, which is how you know we're able to in GLP take individuals who understand that they want broad crypto exposure with some you know with with some downside protection and who are happy to take that exposure agnostically but they can't they don't want to be in the business and neither are they skilled to be able to go run a market making strategy on you know on on a, on an order book platform we've removed all of that 
we've said, you know, we've, we've abstracted that entire process away and we've actually created an environment that allows a passive investor to earn the same way as the biggest market makers, because effectively we are offering to traders exactly what a market maker would offer. Right. And so we've, so in some, in that way, I think the innovation is actually on the liquidity side because from a trader's perspective, they're getting the exact same experience. If they want to go execute 2 million of orders, it's basically going to cost you about the same on Binance or FTX or GMX, um, except you're able to do it with us under the conditions of being on the change that you want to be in, the privacy that you want, and do so with you know control over your, old, your own funds. Mm-hmm. But And you're not trading you're not actively trading against traders, right? Like you're the counterparty, mm-hmm. but you're not trying to best them, which <laughs> exactly. in other scenarios, right? Like that's kind of the model I understand. You know, if you if you own FTX, what well, makes sense to also own Alameda and be the market maker on the on the exchange? Um, and I think a lot of people forget that. And in this scenario, um, there's no bias, no opinion, right? The automated market maker just automatically market makes on this Chainlink Oracle. Exactly. So, and I think that's where, you know, I think we, we touched on it earlier, which is that, you know, I can't tell you that you'll make money in a trade, lose money in a trade, get liquidated, but you'll get a fair trade because I'm, because my goal or not, our goal is, is a marketplace that is equitable. There's, there's an equitable set of fees for people to trade in and trade out and do so exactly where we think people will want to trade. And, and, you know, without getting into all the layers, I think there are a lot of benefits of an on-chain experience where people natively are. You're not having to take your funds and silo them away now into a chain with, you know, for a single protocol or onto an exchange who basically is incentivized to keep your money and and try to, you know, offer you many other services. If you want to be a liquidity provider, you can mint in, you can mint out effectively instantly when you when you'd like to. If you want to trade, you can trade immediately and you're doing it from exactly where you're keeping your funds on chain. So, you know, I think I think we've, you know, there, there are absolutely execution issues that everybody's got different solutions to. We've we've aimed at saying how do we create an experience that works well for for both liquidity providers who as I said, they're getting access to effectively active management of their of their market making strategies using oracles but without having to go through all of that effort and traders have as i said a fair transparent experience um the only other thing i was going to mention is that you know that doesn't mean that we're ignoring um limit order books market makers everybody else we keep looking at you know how how do you keep making sure that you can keep adding and liquidity into the system how do you keep looking at hybrid solutions um but you know, I think I think within an on-chain experience as it is right now, we're quite confident that the experience that we've delivered, you know, has has been delivering and will continue to deliver well. Yeah, I think the the other benefit of having it all on-chain and on like chain with other protocols is composability, which we touched on earlier, like Umami, right? Um, so yeah, that's also what DeFi is good for. Yeah. Well, by the way, I mean the other thing I was going to mention, which we didn't we didn't really touch on, but you know, a few months ago we did a we did an upgrade to the protocol in terms of how we how we price new positions, which was effectively what we we what within even the stock market you'd call basically a speed bump. You know, any trade that's executed uh, on GMX is done based on an up to date uh, Oracle price, so that you know the moment you open a transaction, we instantly pull. The most fresh data from across 
from across the oracles to and then execute you at that price which means i can't i what i what i will do is if you're if you're saying i'm willing to execute that transaction and i'm willing to execute it at this price or better than this price whatever that better is i will give you that price and, uh, and i we the, the protocol because the idea is that what it's doing is it's allowing traders to know as we said that they're going to get a fair entry price and a fair exit price pulled from the active market um what it does do though is remove a lot of front running and a lot of activity that actually tends to be a big part of the profit uh the profits of market makers because that's actually the part of the business that uh you know us as retail traders we don't get and that tends to be you know the margins that they take in between whereas what we do is just offer that clean trade experience on execution and market price in execution and market price out so uh, I, I don't quite get it. Could you explain what, what you're doing? So you offer the Chainlink Oracle price, but then if the market price is different, you no, I guess, no, subsidize no, that or what do you mean? No, 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 no oh, sorry. Let me let me cover this again. So effectively what happens is that uh, we, we use a combination of Chainlink and Chainlink nodes. So when, when you execute a transaction, that transaction is actually executed based on an immediate pull from the from the nodes of, of of the oracle pricing so it is an absolute current price of the market um and that way what happened and when i say that but you can't do that historically because if i take it historically that would be with a lag so instead it's done immediately and by taking it immediately effectively most the typical lag is one second so when you place an order within one second you get executed at the market rate and again, that's 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 transparent. I have no, no, nobody has any incentive to to give you anything but the market rate because, for us, having the market rate in and having the market rate out is what makes it a fair market. I see, uh, and 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 it is in contrast to to I believe you guys had a range of which price needed to deviate out of before you could fill or liquidate. Isn't that right? Well, so for liquidations, what we've done is added a separate mechanism, which is that liquidations occur on a combination of um, the combination of triggers, which is that an actual liquidation as opposed to a market exit is priced based only on Chainlink oracles. So we will wait for a broader Chainlink oracle update to execute any liquidation. So rather than, so while you get immediate market pricing for all transactions that you want to execute, the the act of liquidation itself and and to be clear liquidation on gmx is a liquidation based on your chain link oracle price and a return of any surplus um a principal back to you from that trade as well so we don't liquidate and hold back um you know effectively your your losses like the way you would get liquidated on uh for example a um well, most centralized exchanges or to use an example of a lending platform the way you would get liquidated on an ave where they hold back your collateral your liquidation on gmx is a liquidation with a return of any capital based on exact you know the final chain link price at the time of your liquidation okay great thanks for clarifying that okay so i guess let's move away a little bit from glp and uh, maybe let's talk about the referral system because it has been a while like maybe we can get into like how successful it was like uh, what volumes are you are seeing and all of that can you yeah give us a rundown there okay uh so the, yeah the, we we launched the referral system it's been it's been about it's been about a month since it's been live um 
I will, okay, so I will, I'll say this. We've, it's done very well because what it's done is it's helped to keep building up our visibility, but within more traditional, within channels that have already been very active on GMX. Um, and I don't want to make it an excuse, but the broader crypto market has been in a, in a state that, you know, most people that we've talked about have said that, you know, promoting leverage trading is, I think, something that people would want to do at a slightly, you know, slightly at a time where the market is a little bit more receptive. But what, what's been very important for us was building the product, building the system, because what the system allows us to do is create incentives. So the 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 engine that backs our referral system also will enable us to be able to back uh, marketing campaigns that we're doing with partners, uh, like I mentioned, mobile wallets. It's able to back uh, anything that we're doing with uh, vault strategies or anybody else who we want to work with on a slightly whole, more wholesale basis. So the referral system was actually just the first aspect of that, which which sort of integrates being able to, uh, you know, bifurcate, uh, you know, source and, source and traders and, 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 and create different incentive structures around that. Uh, I'm not actually, we haven't actually released yet the first, uh, you know, an update on the total referral volume. I think we've been giving a few weekly updates, but we haven't done a, f- a full one month update, but Maybe post podcast, I can send that send that out, and maybe you guys can put it in the show notes. Sure, we will do that, and also add it to the Twitter thread. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and I think it deserves to be said. And Kepler Kepler kind of hinted at this already. Um, it seems like this is such a organic method of growing the fan base, and it's smart because it aligns incentives. But you guys already had cultivated a core group of people who really understood the protocol, who used it, who kind of saw the benefit to it. And then the referral system just, you know, I think this is kind of testament to doubling down on an ecosystem that worked. Um, and you guys have done that so well. And, you know, we've we've looked at the Blueberry Club and uh, I think so many interesting things are happening in the GMX community that have made it a darling. And, you know, also I'll, I'll just say this personally, you know, in these uh, shitty market conditions, like, I and many of us have been re-underwriting the portfolio, and this actually is a protocol that keeps making money even in bad market conditions. And um, that's really awesome because it means it isn't just fluff. So as you, as, as you pointed out, I mean, I, 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 I definitely do not wish for a bear market. It's not anything I wish for, but what I will just say is that I think, you know, one of the things that we spent a lot of time theoretically working through, and I'll say theory because practice will, you know, the real world will finally show us, was we we fundamentally do believe that it's a protocol that because all of the earnings are based on actual activity and that activity is an activity that will continue to happen. It'll continue to happen in good markets and bad markets. And we, we see that we're just positioning ourselves to keep growing our share of the perp market. And as we keep growing our share of the perp market with a product that we think works very well, with a vault strategy with or GLP, however you want to term it, that provides returns, you know, I would say it provides more than commensurate returns for the risk profile that people are taking on by being liquidity providers there. Um, it, it's built to be able to, to, to work through these sort of what may well be trying times in the market, and you know, as a, as a team and as a protocol, we've made sure that you know we're funded with a with a good runway to keep building the products that we think we want to bring out to the market, and the entire time be able to keep you know making sure that anybody who's um, continues to have faith, 
if you're a trader, you're you're probably making back getting something back in your in your referrals and rebates. If you're a liquidity provider, you're continuing to have your capital be active, being active and working. And if you're a GMX staker, you're continuing to get a team working and growing the protocol for you with dividends or distributions as you go. Mm, yeah, and you guys are clearly, I think, in the right mindset also to. Um... To make sure your investors, who are mostly, I think, just retail and uh, enthusiasts and DeFi natives, to actually make sure they win as well. You know, just some observations that we've made is, well, you have a new emission schedule. And I think it shows that you've looked at, okay, well, we have this level of adoption. Maybe we can reduce what the emissions are because there's a larger makeup of fees. Well, that is awesome. But the other thing too, and it, you know, when Cap and I prepared for this interview, we we just refreshed our um, our understanding of the share of tokens that the team got also when switching from gamut to gmx and that's very moderate and you know i'm i'm sure you all have bought more and um i think some governance proposals have happened to make sure that there's runway and there was um i think an olympus protocol owned liquidity sale um but but all of these things they feel they feel fair um and it means just just giving my own opinion, kind of contrasting you to the alternatives, there's no massive EC overhang. You have a group of people that, despite many being anonymous, um, really seemingly acting in the best interests of, of the holders. And that is rare, honestly, in crypto. So, you know, I I, I will say that, and 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 he's way too modest to... Um, uh, to probably ever want anybody to say it, but it, it, it does come from the top in the sense that, uh, you know, X has always been focused on how do I make, how do you make sure that everything is very fair? That, that was both, you know, we kept, it kept it, uh, kept aside enough that if the protocol does well, the team is reasonably compensated and, and is able to make sure that we are focused on delivering the product. Liquidity providers, uh, are compensated. G those who have been committed to GMX and also with our tokenomics, which reward the most loyal long-term holders of GMX, are, are, are richly rewarded. And how do you make sure that traders, you know, get a platform they deserve? You know, it's a very delicate balance. And the fact that I, I think it was mentioned earlier, we tend to be very deliberate, which means, you know, we'd rather, as I say, measure twice and cut once, you know, as we make changes, we, we, we make them slowly, but we try to make sure that they are constantly moving us in the right direction. Reducing liquidity uh, incentives was something that was always on the roadmap to be to sort of happen after six months. Uh, and we've done it and done it in a way that sort of reflects to say, you know, when liquidity returns are, are strong, there, there's not a need for for any emissions or benefits. And we're, and if we reach a stage where liquidity incentives uh, native, let's say native returns have come down, then there's there's a potential for having some liquidity incentives. We've also spent a lot of time making sure that everything self-balances. You know, we don't want excessive capital within GLP if the market doesn't have that sort of trade volume. And what's great is the system does sort of dynamically update based on market conditions. Um, and but but what's great is we're not a protocol that will then shut down if liquidity came down a little bit or trading volume comes down a little bit, it continues to be able to balance and very easily then ramp back up as well. So spend a lot of time trying to make sure that, as we said, it's it it's as it's as balanced a system as you can create. Um uh in terms of the below tokens and the, the, the team component, 
you know, I will say that at some point after, you know, alongside PVP, we'll probably be making some governance proposals. We've already, I think we've already mentioned it in the last, um, in the last uh, uh, medium update as to, you know, what, what we're doing to look at alternate fee streams that can also be dedicated towards maintaining the protocol long-term so that, you know, as we continue to build out uh, PVP, explore and other things, we can continue to, to build out the development team uh, with other talent who may be able to bring in other protocols and ideas under the same umbrella. Makes total so, sense. And um, also in that way, it is very transparent, you know, like there are arguments sometimes for increasing token emissions, um, but if it's from a portion of fee direction, well, that can be very sustainable. Uh, and that revenue is actually there for GMX. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, so, you know, I think, I haven't checked the most updated numbers, but I think we're at a little over 50. I mean, we, I know we crossed 50 million of fees um, in total. And I think now Arbitrum by itself has already crossed 50 million fees. So we've, We've consistently been generating, you know, returns for everybody in the ecosystem, and and I think that that has proven to create a very sustainable model. Uh, yeah. So let's maybe you, you touched on on the team and expanding the team. Um, so let's maybe talk about the team a little bit more. So we already had it at the start, but more from you. You are anonymous. Most, mostly like the team, like X is anonymous. Like, ha is there any challenge to it or does it also have advantages? Could you maybe uh, talk about that? Well, okay. So I, I think the challenges can sometimes be at probably at an individual level. I mean, if you spend time in the crypto space, you know, obviously a lot of activity happens on Discord, Telegram and the like. And I think that um, being anonymous or not probably makes very little difference. Um, you know, actually, in some ways, I think it's actually been quite liberating. I, I, I'm the first to say that, you know, in the end, anybody, there's nobody who's really anonymous out there. So, you know, we, we by our nature, we have a team of people who are focused on doing right. And irrespective, you, sh you would always assume that, you know, you're not that far away from being doxxed anyways. Um, so you know, in some ways, I don't know. To me, it, it's it's been, it's been a bit of a non-issue, I guess, in the sense that it's allowed the team to just focus on delivering the team, delivering on the on the protocol, on the product, and having most of the focus be on the protocol and the product. And I think that's one of the great. I think that's one of the great innovations that anonymous or pseudo anonymous uh, teams have brought to the space. If you want to evaluate, uh, you know, evaluate um, the evaluate us based on our code and what we're performing not based on somebody's accent or how they how they you know do they attend conferences or what they're doing it's 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 really on what what we are as a, as a team and as a protocol are delivering and it keeps the focus on the right spot I, I we we shared a vision and we think actually that's super liberating like you said because it forces to focus on the content you know it's kind of like the anonymous artist um who makes great art, and then mm -hmm. you have to just look at the art. Um, and of course, you can still accrue a reputation. But what about the remote component and the international perspective? Like, you know, it's just such an interesting way how crypto protocols in general are, are executing. And I very much believe that that is the future of how most internet and technology businesses will run, uh, not necessarily just crypto. Um, you guys are doing so much with a small amount of people. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Like, what does that imply on a day-to-day? -day? And um, do you like it? Do you think it's effective? 
So I would I would say the following. I think that it is, I think keeping our team small and tight has definitely made remote a lot easier to do. I do think that, and this is me just sort of speaking at a much more broad level, having been involved with other organizations, you know, being remote with large teams is very challenging because it's very hard to hold accountability for what people need to be doing. Uh, working on a smaller team, I think it is a little bit easier because I think that, you know, everybody has a one-to-one channel available. I mean, that doesn't mean that everybody speaks to everybody for every individual thing, but, but you know, you have you have direct access, and I think that makes it a lot easier. It definitely does require a discipline to make sure that what somebody is dealing with, they are dealing with. Um, and and that can be obviously a lot harder when you can't just walk over and say, how is that moving? How is it progressing? Um, and and so, you know, I think I think with everybody, you know, everybody's been just trying to find the right way that as you deal with, you know, digital first communication, how do you make sure that, you know, the way that you're asking questions, the way that you're posing them, you know, are, are well understood. Um, I will say that we've been very lucky. I mean, I'll, I'll I'm, I'm speaking very measured right now, but I'm a pretty blunt person. And so, you know, it's great talking to people who just don't have time for everything else in between. So let's just focus on what it is that we need to do, how do we need to solve this problem, and then let people go away and spend time thinking about it and coming back with solutions. So, you know, it, it's it's been definitely a very different experience, but I think it's an experience that everybody's sort of, well, not everybody, but anybody who's been sort of within the, the technology space has had to to really deal with over the last few years. So, um, you know, I guess the the world is crack, the world is catching up to crypto that way. Great. Thanks. Um, that's helpful insight and maybe inspirational or useful for other builders. Um, Kepler, I want to pass it on to you. Um, let's uh, bring it to a close. Yeah, we, we hit the one hour mark. So, um, yeah, it was a great talk. So thanks to, to Coin from GMX. Thanks to you, Brucey, as well. And we see you on the next episode. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you so much.